The things in the gospel are real and he's trying to get you to activate your mind so you know you have a boldness to walk in his presence and do what he says. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. So you should be raising up the people around you for the things of God. Quit walking around like you ain't got no sense. But know the authority that you carry all in love. Not in pride. We serve a good God. We serve a good God. Chandra, can you bring that up to me, please? I know that's going to be funny for you, but bring that up to me. That the, the bucket. The bucket. I forgot to do this, and I needed to do this. I was washing my car yesterday, and I got my wife a car for her birthday and this guy had the same car and he, he uh, just hold it there he he was talking all about he's a veteran and um, his name's Julius and we just talked and then we talked about church and he talked about church and then I said something at the end I didn't start my conversation off with, hi, I'm Brandon. I'm the pastor at Redmond Church. I just said, hi, Brent. I'm Brandon. I like your car. And he's like, I like yours, man. It's awesome. I said, God bless me with it. He's like, I've never heard that in my life. And I want to say this because in the end, we had this whole conversation. And then we talked about church and where he went to church. And then we talked about where I went to church. And I said, yeah, I go to Redmond Church. And he's like, Redmond Church? I'm like, huh. And I said, yeah. My wife and I are the lead pastors of that, and he just froze and hit the brakes. Now, I don't know if I just, because I didn't look like a pastor, because I was wearing my shorts, my t-shirt, well, kind of like this. Um, and we were just going about, he was so blown away, and I said, well, I gotta get going. Here's some can of foam for your car. You can spray your tires, it looks wet, it looks nice on your vehicle. I'll give you mine, you can have it. He's like, man, that's amazing. I leave and come back, he said, I need to give you something. I said, no. I don't, I'm not, there's no like give and take here. We just, I was just blessing him. He said, no, God just spoke to me just now. I don't know this guy from nowhere. He looked, he just, he just, he just looked like he's part of the streets, man. I'm just telling you right now. And he pulled out his wallet and he handed me a 20. And he said, I need to sow a seed into your church. And he said, I'm putting it in the ground and it is going to flourish. He said, God told me that you are a mouthpiece for him. And you need to put this in the ground. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the gospel. So God, I pray that you touch this, you multiply this, you touch that man's life. I pray that the seed goes in the ground, that people will wake up and wake up at this church and start to give like they've never gave before, God. That it flourishes in this house and outside of this house. That Remnant Church becomes a church that gives multiple to other churches, that gives more cash to other people, that gives out more than it receives, God. We thank you for what you're doing, God. Thank you for what you're going to do with that, God, as it goes into the ground. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Sorry. Thank you. And it, it was nothing to do with me. He just said, God told me that you were a mouthpiece for him. I don't know what you know about a mouthpiece, but it has to fit into somebody's mouth. Just right. And what a humbling thing to think, but it wasn't about me. It was about the seed that sung. He said, I got to get, I don't even know who this guy is. I'm trying to tell you what happens when you start activating yourself in the God. The anointing just walks around with you and it challenges and changes lives. And people just start talking about stuff just for no reason, just to talk about it. Because they feel, I don't know why I'm telling you this, because you ever had that happen? The anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Let me get into this real quick. I got to get into this. Okay. We're going to get right back into, I, I have to preach this, preach this, I have to. Uh, change the default, part two. Basically, I'm rewinding. I, I spoke the message at the end of this, this, mess, this uh, uh, passage, and I spoke about Esau, and I'm, I'm going to rewind and talk about the front side of this. I hope you're ready, church. I hope you're ready. Hebrews 12, 11. There is no chastising, no discipline seems to be joy, joyful in the present, but painful. Neither the le- nevertheless, afterwards, it yields peace, peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands 
which are down and feeble knees. And make straight the path of your feet so that whew, what is lame may not be dislocated, rather heal. You can underline that if you need to. Heal, pursue peace with all people, holiness without, with, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, at least anyone falls short of the grace of God. At least any root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble, and by many become defiled. At least uh, there will be any fornicators and profane person like Esau who sold his inheritance for a bowl of soup. For you know afterwards he wanted to inherit the blessing but was rejected and found no no place of repentance, even though he sought it diligently with tears. For you know afterwards, he sought it diligently with tears that he cried out and wanted those that inheritance back. Let me rewind just real fast so we can get right into this. There is nothing as powerful as a changed mind, church. Amen. I don't know if you understand this or not. In the last few weeks, you are seeing physical things about a changed mind. We've heard different stories of people choosing to follow Christ, choosing to let go of the things that bind them. There's nothing more powerful than a changed mind. It changes the atmosphere. It changes your own. Now, will things come up at you and try to get you? Yeah, absolutely it will. But when you have a changed mind and you can look at the enemy in its face and say, nope, just like Bree said, it stopped with me. Amen. I, I'm done. I'm done. There's nothing as powerful as a changed mind. You can change anything you want to change. But if you do not change your mind, you will have the same experiences. They will keep going over and over in your life because you didn't change your mind. You try to change everything else. You change the outward, but you did not change what's on the inside. Esau was supposed to have the inheritance. It, it moved away from Esau to his brother Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should have been the God of Esau. And ain't nobody want to talk about Esau. Nobody wants to name their kid Esau. Nobody wants to name anybody Esau. But Esau was one of the one. He was the grandchild of Abraham who was supposed to inherit all of it. Who was about the entire promise. But because he was hungry, he lost every bit of it. And sold it for a bowl of soup. A bowl of soup. The whole thing I wanted to say about changing the default is <clears throat> there's nothing as powerful as a changed mind. Like I said last time, when you go into word settings, you can type in whatever you want and it will say exactly what you type in. But until you change the default, it will not change. You can change the font all day long. Just like it says, there's nothing as powerful as a changed mind. They can, that's your default. That's what it says. And you can type all you want. And you can change the font. Go to the next font. There's nothing as powerful as a changed mind. As you change the font, it changes it with it. The moment you step out of that, that window and go back, it goes right back to default. Just giving you a little heads up real fast. We can get into this. The moment that happens, it goes back to default. Again, as Christians, because of the problem we face, we don't change the default. We change the setting. So we will have a different font for when we go to church. And it will look good for that. But when we go home, we're back in the same situation because the default never changed. Just the, the font changed. Make sense? We've all heard this. If you haven't, you've got to watch that sermon. Um, but it changed. And when it changed... It, it, it goes back, but until you decide to change the default from the beginning, nothing else will matter. That's right. Just like, like I said, a pig and, and a sheep, they both got stuck in the same mud. The default, they go right to default. Pig starts rolling around, enjoying life. Lamb is crying out. I don't want to be in here. I'm stuck in here. They're screaming to get out of that mud. The pig lays in it because it's its default. The lamb knows this isn't, not, this isn't where I belong. I got to get up out of here. So until you change the default, you will always just be like a pig laying in the mud, thinking that this was acceptable. But when you change it and change the mindset of your life to Christ, you know when you step down in a situation, I don't belong in this situation. I can't live in this situation. My life doesn't belong here anymore. It causes you that because it has a made up mind in the in the settings of the computer that it will act as the default to help you guide you through your process got to change the default. <clears throat> if you don't change it in your head, you can't change it in your life. Let me say that one more time. If you don't change it in your head, you won't change it in your life. 
Just like the couple that came up here. Until they changed it in their head. They can say it all they want, but until they faced it and changed it, it wasn't going to change their life. But because they did, it changed their life. And because they did, it's going to change their daughter's life. Yes. You see what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter how young or how old, just like Tony said to him. Because he did, it changed his life. Yes. It's because he did, it's going to change everything around his life. We, it doesn't matter. God wants to change your default. Amen? So that's the recap. You gotta look, if you did not listen to that, my goodness, be intentional and make time for that. It's powerful. If you didn't watch last week, you better go back and re-watch that. You'll get saved twice. Woo! Yeah. Man, it's powerful. The Hebrew uh, writer, now going into the scripture, the Hebrew writer is uh, on a task of telling us that we are being parented. So we read this scripture about, about this whole thing. About how, how there's no discipline seems to be joyful in this present but painful. The Hebrew writer is telling us that we are being parented. That we are being parented by God. That God doesn't believe in timeouts. Oh, Lord. I hope you're ready. That God doesn't believe in timeouts. That he applies the rod of correction to the seat of judgment. Not physical, not visibly, not, you're not, not on the outward, but, but there are things that when you are his, and if you do these things, there will be repercussions. Absolutely. That when you are his and you do these things, there's repercussions. Amen. I, I've tried to explain to my children, I have three of them. That as, as best as I could, that discipline does not end with adulthood. And you know, you got kids out there these days saying, well, I can't wait till I'm grown so I can get up out of here. Can't wait till I'm grown so I can leave. And I'm like, these light afflictions may pass too. You know, like, you go ahead and get grown real quick and get up out of here and see how that's going to work for you. Because you'll freeload as long as you can and you're going to be broke back at home. And those same disciplines are still going to apply. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait till I'm grown. I'm out of here. Go, 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 go on. I got your bags. Go on. Because they don't get that everything else that you have to do just to make the lights work in the church. Oh, I mean at your house. Sorry. My bad. Um. But nobody knows what it takes to make things run so that we can go. Because what happens? What? The kids just show up and enjoy and then go about their day with no responsibility. It seems like the church sometimes. Because nobody knows what it takes to make this run on the other days. Besides when you walk in and enjoy but forget about everything else that happens. And that's why when people give and are truly being obedient to tithing and stuff. Let's just be real about it. That's because it keeps everything on. Like people forget, like church is like a business too. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that word. Because the reality is, is how else does it all, people think it's just, it happens. But because of your faithfulness, it's, it's able to continue to stay on and go. I would hate to have a conversation and say, well, sorry, we can't pay the electric bill this week. We'll have a tent revival. Ooh, God, wow. <laughs> no, it's not, oh, wow, praise the Lord. It's, ooh, wow, you don't give. I'm not saying that that's us, but I have seen churches shut down because nobody gave. Yeah. Even recently in our city. I hear it. I see the emails. I'm praying for this. Pray for You see why churches combine and com combine forces? It's because the one's not able to sustain it. Because yeah. people aren't able to give yeah. for some reason. I refuse that this be religious. I'm thankful for everybody that gives and, and, and uh, is faithful. We're able to do so much and reach so much and do everything that God's called us to do and, uh, and also help try to pay people that are putting in the sweat, blood, and tears to make sure that things are going. We're thankful and we're so thankful. So, so he talks about this stuff and, and these light afflictions and, and, we, and you know, we act like, okay, you groan and uh, go on about your day. Um, but the reality is, listen, if I don't chase your kids, to my own kids, if I don't chase you, to your own kids, if you don't chase them, the police will. Amen. Come on. 
The courtroom will. That's right. The judge will. Disconnect will. Being fired will. You never escape rules and consequences no matter who you are and where you go. You never. So I wanted to get back into the scripture. I talked about the Esau thing that couple weeks ago. But please, we're not a church that's just going to bypass certain scriptures so we don't want to talk about certain things. We don't talk about everything the Bible has to offer. Everything the Bible has to offer. And, and the reality is, is this is what sets us free is the, the word of God. And so you won't es escape it. You know you have been convicted. Uh, you know, you feel like you. Uh, not necessarily convicted. I, I just think more you just feel like you just got a free pass. People feel like they got that free pass at like Disney World. Well, just everything's good, and we're just going to, you know, not to really go to, just like your life is lived like it's some fairy tale. Like nothing phases me, nothing's going to hit me, that uh, you're an exception to the situation, to the rules, that uh, that God understands you, and, and there's probably a clause in that in that statement. He, he's got me. Uh, but believe me on this one, church, there will always be a cause and consequences for every one of our lives. No matter what you go through, there, there will always be. He disciplines those he loves. For the last three weeks, without even knowing it, we've been talking about this and about the mind and discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten uh, the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My children, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not give up when you get corrected. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. It never says he disciplines those he hates, but people think it's hate. Those he loves, and he punishes each one according to his child. Amen. Or each one he accepts as a child. In the scripture that we've been reading in 12.11, there's no discipline seems to be joyful in the present. There's no discipline seems to be joyful. This is a kind of a different kind of message, but I cannot go any further than reading what the scripture said and talking about it. Have you ever gone through a correction? Anybody in church, have you ever gone through a correction? See, I know nobody wants to talk about it. But as an adult, you had to go through a correction. Maybe you just got stubborn. Maybe you just went your own way. And when you had to go through a correction, you had to be corrected. See, a lot of people don't like correction. They, they think it's something negative. They don't think it's anything of God's will or out of that or, or, bring, or if correction happens in, in, in situations in churches. I remember one time my mom preached and she was talking about how there was a correction where my, the pastor she was under said, hey, I need you to sit down and just really focus because God's wanting to do something. But until you get still and understand who he truly is, you will not be, you, you won't go where he wants to take you. No, nobody wants that correction. They just think the pastor's against them, the leadership's against them. They're going to leave and just go somewhere else and hide until they say, look, I can do all this stuff. Do you need me? And too many times we have pastors just filling positions and not, not trying to develop and help people become great leaders. And so correction is healthy. And so we had to go through a correction. And the correction is not, can I be real about it? Correction is not an announcement that you are not God. In fact, it's a declaration that you belong to God. You belong to God. You're God's child. That's a declaration. Yes. The fact that you can't get away with anything that other people can get away with. Come on, church. Don't act holy. Act mad. The fact that you can't get away with things that other people can get away with. All the people you talk to, maybe the people you run with. It's so common. It seems so normal. But when you get ready to do something dumb, do something you know you shouldn't be doing, there comes the consequences. That's right. There comes the consequences and it doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem right. But somebody needs to understand something. The distinction that is, is that you belong to God and who the Lord loves, he disciplines. How am I getting in trouble for something that I'm doing and I know I shouldn't be doing it, but yet so-and-so over here ain't even getting in trouble for it and it's just what it is. Because God disciplines those he loves because he sees more value in that. Because you're choosing to follow him and when you step into something, 
like some nasty mud or the, whatever that situation represents. He's like, no, 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 I got great plans for you, declares the Lord, to prosper you to do. But you get staying in that, we're going to have to go this way for a little bit before you can get going this way again. He does it because he's trying to develop us, but we get mad. We jump the gun. We take off. We act like we don't need any instruction. Right. We're a loose cannon. What do they say? Like cowboy while shooting at the hip? I don't know, John Wayne or something? Whatever. <laughs> but you got to understand. There's a lot of ways you can be disciplined. There's emotional discipline. There's financial discipline. There's relational discipline. Just because he doesn't use a switch doesn't mean he's not a father of discipline. There are things about being disciplined. It's so tough because anybody else, you comfort. So here's what it is. You try to comfort somebody. It's tough because when we can get you out of it. You know, you're getting disciplined and, and something's going on. We can try to get you out of it. Uh, or if the enemy does something and, and, and you're feeling disciplined, we can rebuke the enemy. But let me tell you something, church, real fast, real clear. You cannot rebuke God. Amen. And you've got to decide because people are like, oh, that's just the enemy. No, that actually was God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, God, you pray for me. The enemy's being hard on me. No, that's probably God. Amen. What are you doing? Not saying every situation don't cast the blame on that, but we give the devil way too much credit when God's trying to develop somebody. Is this good? I gotta keep going. Okay. Man. If you are under his discipline, we can pray till our lips get dry and cracked up. Nothing's gonna happen. We can pray as much as we want. If we're if you're under God's discipline, there ain't nothing we can do about it. I don't care if we grease you up with oil like a fried chicken. There ain't nothing we can do about it. Amen. We're going to anoint you all the way from your head to your toes. You know, like, there's nothing you can do. You're just putting on a show now. There's nothing. You just got to sit and take it. And learn from it and move on. If you're under discipline, until the correction is made, we can't help you. How else do you learn unless you go through it? How else does anybody learn unless, if somebody always is bailing them out, they will never learn. That's why we have repeat offenders. Yeah, that's right. True. Everybody's always trying to bail somebody out and be like, well, that, 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 uh, well, you know, uh, until somebody learns. And that's called tough love, too. Yes, it is. But you, there's nothing you can do when God is trying to do something. All you can do is say, I put my trust in you, God. I put my trust in you, God. There's nothing else that can be done. No chastisement for the present. No, no discipline for the, for the present. Where, where you are, where, where you're in, where you are now, seems joyous. That's what the text says. But it will bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. When he gets through working, it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. When he's done working it, there's fruit of righteousness. See, he will correct that. He'll go out of his way. Correction is painful, church. Can anybody agree? Amen. Yeah. Correction can, be, can slow down uh, your progress. Correction can be embarrassing. Anybody agree with that? Correction can be embarrassing. See, my mom had a bad habit of correcting me in public. Yeah. Oh, careful. That's how far you are from me. <laughs> she had a bad habit of correcting me in public. I know that might be out of style for some of you. When you're just like, you, 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 you might say to your kid, well, you know, when you get home, you're going to get it. You, you wish, I wish my mama would have, when you got home, because I would have been done everything to get her mind off of what was about to happen. So yeah, but some of y'all practice disobedience and say stupid stuff and don't even follow through. So, 
Oh, man. I don't have steel toes on this morning. It's weird. Got some weird shoes on, but... Uh, <laughs> but I, I wish I wish the correction was you was going to get it when you got home. Because that would have been a little bit easier because I would have had some time to do something. Come up with a plan. Wash some dishes. Take out the trash. Yes, ma'am. Oh, man, I serve you today, Mom. <laughs> you know how kids get. They all puppy-eyed and <laughs> doing stuff. But it wasn't like that. Mom didn't care. Mom was ghetto. So that wasn't the case because here's what happened. Between the cereal and the snack aisle, right where you showed out, she showed up. So if you're going to act out between the cereal and snack aisle, I'm going to show up right where you acted out. We ain't waiting till we get home. I'm going to take care of you right here, right now. Act a fool one more time because we're going over to the drink aisle next. I'll bust you up. <laughs> and maybe it was me. Like, like you know, correction, it can be embarrassing, but maybe it was me. You know, I'm, I'm probably mad because I'm, I'm getting upset about something. Something serious. Mama does be, it is serious. Because I wanted the certain cereal that had the certain prize. The prizes were amazing in cereal boxes back in the day. Kids today don't have a clue about cool prizes in cereal. And I don't think I was smart enough to dump it all out to get the prize. I just ate the whole box of cereal so I could eat, get the prize. <laughs> That's probably why I have a problem with I'm a cereal killer. Check it. It's probably going to go viral and edited and it's, it's a bad deal. Larry, bail me out of jail, please. Um, <laughs> it's probably because I wanted the prize and I threw a fit. Mama, you, you got to give me that cereal. I want that cereal. Or dad or dad was there and dad was like, you ain't getting that cereal. That's name brand. That's like five more dollars. You're getting this one. Now, you're not getting fruit loops. You're getting two loops. You're getting that one. That's the one you're getting. Ain't nobody want no two loops, dad. That sounds nasty. And yo, you want two. See, I'm ruined. I will never do that to my kids. Just another words. And, and, and so you act out, I want no two loops, I want three loops, you know, like, and, and then there was this swift air that flew by. <laughs> you ever seen, like, a duck on uh, <laughs> Looney Tunes, his mouth goes back here, he's like, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> you can get with my cartoon, okay? Because it was a, it was a swift, <laughs> impending judgment in that moment. And what was crazy is, there could be time, this wasn't one time, Mom, you know that. Just being real, shake the devil. Um, it, it, it's happened in front of my friends, schoolmates, and for three days, all they're talking about is what I look like after I got jacked up. You know, like, remember we said, like, oh my God. You know, like, <laughs> and that's all they're talking about, but yet, when I got home, I was murmuring and complaining. Oh, man, Saying the meanest things, probably some stuff I probably shouldn't have said, but I said it low enough so I didn't die twice. You know what I'm saying? You said it so low, you just don't die twice, you die once. And, and you slam the door, and then mom comes in and grabs your arms, like, you need to shut that door again. I did shut it. Okay, you're going to shut your mouth, too. So I would have to go up to the door and shut it slow. Now, I've done that with my kids, because that's fun. Um, <laughs> do it again. <laughs> you ain't slamming my door. This is my door. I paid for this door. I paid for this house. You ain't slamming doors. Anyway, but, but it, it becomes so, it's so real because those, those moments hurt alive and they're embarrassing at times. Woo! But I didn't appreciate the method at all. Not at all. Nobody does. Some of you are laughing because you remember it felt, you felt that, didn't you? You felt when you've been jacked up. Um, but listen, I didn't, I didn't realize I didn't realize it until I grew up. I didn't realize until I grew up that though I didn't get away with what my friends and the people I knew got away with, I didn't get away with it. In the short, in the short run, I looked bad. It was bad to me. I was frustrated. But in the long run, it was good. Amen. In the long run, it was good. I have friends that, that I've known for a long time that are either still doing the same stuff they were doing in high school. Some aren't even living anymore. Some are still strung out. Some are in the long run of the discipline as a child, it, it, it did something in the long run. And so I love my parents today for the very same reason I hated them at the time. There you go. Because in order to appreciate discipline, there has to be a time component on it. 
There has to go through a little bit of a time period. It doesn't look good when you go through it, but when you get outside of it and you see what it prevented, far greater than what happened in your life, you're glad about it. You're glad about that discipline. The problem we have today, church, there's a huge problem. We are so busy and we don't even really discipline our children today. We turn them over to the school and, and, and have them discipline them. And then we run down there screaming at the teacher for not doing something you should have done at home. Amen. This stuff's real. We're mad at the teacher getting on the student side, but they ain't done nothing. The only problem they had was you. Because you didn't follow through at home and now it's the teacher's responsibility. I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stay right there. I don't want to lose your joy today, kill your joy this morning. I won't I'll, I'll get off of that one. Uh, because I know, I, I know you think little Timmy couldn't do anything wrong. Uh, but little Timmy is who he is because what you let him get away with. You wonder why a kid acts a fool. What do you let them get away with? That's the that is the true reality of it. Until you stay on top of but people are always having this trouble trying to figure it out. And it's just like stay consistent. Discipline is not for your child, it's actually for you. It's your consistency saying no. I said no. And then you, no, well, and then it's like, well, I got a couple dollars. You want to go get toy? I got five. Just be good, please. And they're like, okay. You're like, you're a sucker. Donkey. I, for real, I, I think of cartoons because it's just like, they just like, you just got played by a little kid who actually got good because of money. What a hustler. But until we do what we say without having to do a trick, it's always going to be crazy. Discipline is valuable in people's life. Who the Lord loves, he disciplines. That's what he's saying. He corrects those he loves. That it might yield a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Therefore, the scripture says, strengthen the hands, 12, 12, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. Basically, don't walk around with your lips stuck out, pouty face and mad because you got corrected. Verse 13 says, just make straight path your feet. Just make your feet straight. Just get it together. Look at somebody and tell them, get it together. Now you need to tell them because you know it means something. Say, get it together. Okay, don't look too much because they're going to be mad later. Uh, just got to get it together. You've got to get it together. We have to control all delete. We got to change that default so that we can walk forward. Verse 13 says, so that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Not be dislocated, but rather healed. Don't let your brokenness get you off the course of your destiny. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen, but rather be healed. Don't let your brokenness get you off the course. You start worrying about everything else. It's, here's your course. It's right here, but you start shifting off because you let it be something else instead of healed. It, it becomes something else and your destiny is shifted because you focus on your brokenness instead of the one who can heal it. Amen. You've got to change the default. Be healed. You have to let it be healed. You have to change it. Can I say something for realness? Some people refuse to recover. I'm glad there's programs and stuff out there, but I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people that refuse to recover. They refuse. You have to let it be healed. You have to announce to yourself, self, it's over. You don't control me anymore. I can't change it. I can't fix it. It happened to me. I've been lame. I've been hurt. I've been twisted. I've tried to solve it on my own. It didn't work. Now I have to let it be healed. I have to let it be healed. Somebody say, let it be healed. Let it be healed. Say, let it go. 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 Let
trying to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. So you're saying it for somebody. Okay. I can't change it. I can't fix it. It happened. I got to let it go. See, that's a weird statement to me, church. Let it be healed. Let it be healed. Seems like you wouldn't have to say that. Does that mean it makes sense? Seems like you wouldn't have to say that. Let it be healed. Seems like everything broken would want to be healed. Seems like everything sick would want to be whole. Seems like everything fragmented would want to be delivered. But that's not true. You have to let it be healed. You have to change the default and let it be healed. Jesus asked the most interesting question to a lame man after 38 years of being lame. He asked a question, would you like to be made whole? Would you like to let it be healed? Would you like to be whole? That is a crazy question. I mean, at, at one point I just thought, man, that's a dumb question. Why would you ask a man if he would like to be whole? Of course the man wants to be whole. He's been laying here for 38 years. Of course he wants to get up. Yeah, he wants to be whole. Then you're like, man, Jesus, you come down here. You're a great healer, and you ask this man if he wants to be whole. That is a crazy question, God, with all due respect. A crazy question. Because here's the reality. His actions say he wants to be whole. But sometimes our outer actions are saying one thing, but your inner conviction is saying something else. There is a will factor that you have to will to you. Amen. You have to will it. You have to want it. You have to change the default. And so Jesus is asking him, do you want to be home? Because it's your, you've got to will that. If not, you're going to keep laying there. Until you change your default, you won't get up. You've got to want to get home. You've got to come into agreement with God. Do you want to be made whole? Are you happy being sick? Have you built a culture and a society around your dysfunction that you enjoy? Do you enjoy pity and mercy? That you draw from your condition. Think about this man. People talk all the time when you're having a conversation. They always bring up the problem. They draw on you. you trying to have pity for them. Do you want to be whole? If not, you're going to keep doing this. Going to every situation like a gypsy. Doing the exact same thing to everybody else. Drawing. From your condition. Do you like being sick? But there are some people that really enjoy being sick. They like the attention that it, it's like motivation to them. They like to use it as an excuse. They like the attention. Oh, you know, uh, oh, my sugar's acting up, honey. You know my sugar's acting up. Oh, my sugar's acting up, honey. You know I got to I gotta get that. that. I gotta get that in order. It's just acting. It wouldn't act up if you quit eating all the sweets. You got type two. Crap. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we make excuses and we're saying we're struggling, but you keep eating cake. Shut your pie hole. Oh man, I'm hurting somebody right now. I'm telling you right now. Woo, you just, I need security when I leave today. You know what I'm, I'm gonna feel that. It's gonna hurt. But the reality is, there is people that live off their dysfunction so they get the attention, negative attention, because attention is attention, for whatever they're going through, and it's always something else. It's, oh, oh my elbow, oh, my knee, oh, my back, oh, my neck, oh, my neck. Get some of that. What is that? You should just make a dance song on TikTok. You'd be famous with all your problems. But then it's like, oh, are you okay? Oh, 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 get the oil. Oh. 
And it's like, do you want to be whole or do you continue to like the attention of your problem? People live off the attention of their problems so much. Not taking light of people's pain, don't get me wrong. But when you live in it so long, some people, they don't know how else to live but adapt into that because that's what brings the attention to them. And so Jesus tells that guy, do you want to be whole? I mean, people probably gave you money. People, you've been late. Just get up. You don't have to do any of that anymore. You ain't to lay a mat. You ain't got to do nothing. You just got to walk away. Just walk away. See, you pray about what? <laughs> about wanting to be made whole, but not taking the steps to get there. You have to change the default. And it's sad because some people enjoy being sick. That is the weirdest thing to say. But because of the stuff behind the scenes, they live like that. They dress it up. They make up diseases. What's that word for making up diseases, making up hyper? Making up all kinds of stuff. Making it all up. Making up stuff that's not in there. Creating affliction, uh, afflictions, uh, excuses to limit them from getting better. Well, you know I can't because of this. Well, you know I can't because of that. And sometimes, let's just be real about it, if, you don't get, if you're not careful and you're, you're getting assistance from the government, which I'm not saying this is a, a good thing, but if you take advantage of it, you will be stuck in that for the rest of your life. Let's be real about it because you, you get to this place, well, I just got to make under this because if not, I'm going to. But what if God's trying to get you to be prosperous? Amen. It goes in all kinds of ways, but people uh, hold on to what they're, they're struggling with. There's too much going on. Yeah, come. Your excuse, your your temper, your temper tantrums. You start flipping out. Your your rages, your obsessions, your excuses. All you're always categorizing. Uh, I'm drinking because of the way I was raised. I'm drinking because I'm just frustrated with this situation. Um, we make excuses for everything. And what's crazy is there was two sets of twins raised by an alcoholic father. One of them grew up. And became an alcoholic, and they and they said to him, "What uh, acting? You're acting like your father. Why are you drinking?" He said, "Because uh, I was raised by an alcoholic, so I'm, I'm, that's what happened." The other twin uh, never touched a drink in his life, and they said, uh, "Why aren't you drinking?" He said, "Because I was raised by an alcoholic. That's why I'm not drinking." Yeah. What are you going to do with your life? If we make so many excuses why we do stuff and then we get trapped in other things that are even worse. And, and it gets real interesting down here in the scripture in verse 14. He says, follow peace with all people in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Is that crazy? He says, work on your relationship with people. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Follow peace with all men. If there's a way you can avoid conflict, follow peace with all people. If there's a way to avoid it, follow it. Don't always get hooked on conflict. Don't always get hooked on fighting and arguing about things that don't matter. Put your energy into things that are negative. Put your energy into things above. He said, follow peace with all people. Work on Your vertical relationship, but also your horizontal relationship. Work on this, yeah, but work on this too. Work on that horizontal relationship, not just vertical. And it says, not, it says, not just vertical, but follow peace with all people in holiness. That's your character without which no man shall see the Lord. <coughs> what I'm trying to say is don't. Don't just work on your relationship with God while you're hateful to me. While you're hateful to somebody else and you say you love the Lord but you can't stand this other person. And too many times it says work on that relationship and we go through all this stuff and we're always just getting at everything. Trying to bring peace to all situations. One scripture says, "For how, how can you say, say that you love God that you've never seen and, and hate your brother? Or hate the person you see every day. Follow peace with all people in holiness without no one should see the Lord. If you've been going to church for a long time, that scripture, if you've gone to church in the past and the long, back in the day, that scripture uh, 
You've probably heard that scripture ever since you were little. Maybe growing up in a sanctified old time holiness church. That's, that scripture rings. You had these, these texts preached about every Sunday. Growing up in, in church maybe. With great subjects like holiness or hell. Get right or get out. I mean, I'm the only one that's experienced this stuff. Um, but the problem was the holiness that we had a tendency to be taught was a holiness that was imposed upon, upon you based on externals and not internals. We were taught how to dress holy, how to look holy. We were taught how to, we were taught how to make the difference between clean and unclean things. We were taught that we had rules, absolute rules, that we didn't dress any kind of way. And, and some of that was good. Don't get me wrong what I'm saying. Some of that was good. It was great. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness with which no one shall see the Lord. You won't see God. You won't see his promises. You'll shout about it. You'll dance about it. But you won't see it happen. You'll clap your hands about it. It'll sound good to you. But you will not see God's promises. If you don't get yourself together and change your default, you won't see it. We can shout all day long, but we won't see it. The next one says, uh, verse 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble. By, by this, many become defiled. Now, verse 15 is talking about the sins of the spirit. This is the one scripture I've been reading. The sins of the heart, bitterness. Things that you cannot see. Things that come up in your heart like envy and jealousy and racism. And just stuff of the heart that comes up inside of your life. There are these areas of sin. Of the, there's, there's sins of the spirit that get into your heart. Nobody says much about it or preaches about it much. Because these are areas of sin that people cannot see. They're invisible sins. Just being hateful. Just being obnoxious. Just being bitter. Malicious. Antagonistic. Nobody can see it. You can paint over it. You can do your hair. You can put your nails over it. Nobody can see it. It sits inside the heart. You don't know it until you go home with it. You don't know it until you live with it or until you work with them. Every day you can put it on from nine to five. But nobody knows secretly you're a hater. Secretly judgmental. And the problem is, is you can't judge the people alone by what they act like on the outside because if they're no change on the inside, the outside says one thing, but the inside says something completely different. It's saying one thing, and something. there's people that are just bitter and just malicious, hating on people all the time. And nobody sees it at times until either you, you go with it, you're around it, you work around it, you're close to somebody, and you, finally your eyes are unveiled and you're like, holy cow, I didn't realize this was what was going on. There's people so naive over people, and they're like, I'll do whatever it takes, I'm here for you. Like whatever it is, and you're like, you are so naive to what's really going on. My prayer is that God unveils your eyes and gives you that discernment to see it for what it really is. Amen. Come on, church. Don't you understand? Judas was on every praise service. Don't you understand? Judas was on every worship service. When they were washing Jesus' feet with oil, Judas was there. Judas was there at the service right next to him. Right around them, just because a person shows up in the right place doesn't mean they have the right attitude. Amen. Yes, just because they I stand in the garage doesn't make me a car. Amen. And just because I go to church don't make me a Christian. Amen. Come on. Like, come on. You have to change your default. These are sins of the heart. And they will stay and they will spoil you. 
You ever open spoiled milk? No. Jesus. It will spoil you. Contaminate you. Until you get rid of it. I've seen people who had the education to go up. Who had the gifting to go up. They had the talent to go up. But they didn't have the right attitude to go up. They could, they, I've seen Christians, I've seen pastors, I've seen people preach their guts up. I've seen others, but they didn't have the right attitude to go up. Everything else looked good. But there was something on the inside that wasn't looking right. That's right. And eventually, if the attitude, if the heart, if the invisible part isn't right, you can have all the talent in the world, but you will always end up getting spoiled by your own attitude. It's good stuff. Yes, you'll get an opportunity. Yes, those things will happen. Yeah, you'll get the job. Yeah, you'll get a deal. But you won't be able to keep it. Because eventually it won't. Because if that sets in your soul, it will creep out eventually. Because your attitude will corrupt every opportunity life offers you. This is the scripture. And you'll never see it coming. So the Bible says you have to spend... Basically, you have to have two scrub brushes. One of them is scrubbing your heart, your attitude, your disposition, so you're not bitter. It, it won't tell you to watch out for bitterness if you were going to confront with the things that could make you bitter. It, you need to be writing a scripture about something and not confronting it. This is the problem. We, we write down these things. We read the scripture, but if we don't confront what we're writing down and trying to help us live, we will continue to have bitterness and stuff in our heart. We will have all those things, all those inward things, feeling guilt and bitterness and shame, all the stuff that will try to creep up and destroy us and stop us from moving forward in the things of God. Like, I can't be around that like that, man. Like, it, it's got to get wearing. When, when you come up to people and they just always talk about the problems at life or somebody else's problems. You gotta check. Why do you keep on bringing up everybody else's problems? What is going on in you? Even if it's not yours, why is it yours now? Why did you make it your problem? You can't change nobody, but it's changing you because you're letting it sit inside of you. There's a warning to you that life will tempt you to become bitter, and sometimes. At times, what happens too is is uh, age can make you bitter. Amen. Because during age, you collect enough experiences to become cynical. Until after a while, you don't expect anything good to happen because you've been through so many bad things. And if anybody comes knocking on your door, you're already exposed to thinking it's something bad. You have to be careful unless you become bitter. You have to change your default. Either your troubles are going to make you better or they will make you bitter. Amen. That's the bottom line to that. So you got to check your attitude. You have to look at what's growing up in your heart. Looks at, at not what you said because maybe, not what you said because maybe you were taught to have to be polite. It's more about what you're thinking. What are you thinking? Why do you really have an attitude against that person? Why does your mood change every time they come in the room? What's going on with you that you had to send that text out, that you had to make that post, you had to share that note with somebody? What's causing you to do all those things? Why do you need to do that? Why does that person as big as you need to act that small? How can you allow something so silly to spoil the entire warehouse of your giftings? Why does it allow you to shut it all down because you get offended real quick? Why do you get offended so easy? Why does it cause you to not want to be around anybody or come to church or whatever the case is? What causes the offense so fast in your life? To allow it to contaminate. So the sins of the heart that get in the heart can live the longest and not be detected because they're unseen. Generally, you don't see it unless you're around the person a lot. Have you ever been around somebody that 
everybody else thought was a nice person? For real. Like, oh man, they're the greatest, man. They're just great, great people. I'm like, <laughs> spend a few more hours. It's going to set in. It's going to be midnight soon. You're going to see that pumpkin. <laughs> oh man, they're just a good stout. No, they're just a little mice. <laughs> like a Cinderella story. Like, oh, just wait, it's going to click. <laughs> it, you might be here today, and I guarantee uh, maybe, maybe somebody in church. I mean, that's what happens when somebody's like that, and you're like, oh my gosh. They go to church. They like it. It looks good. looks good to go to church. But change is a different thing. You have to change your default. And then it goes into sins of the flesh. I'm going to have the worship team come up. We're going to switch this up. It gets into sins of the flesh. Yeah, it talks about uh, what you do with your body. It says that you become a profane person. What you do with your mouth, all the things you say, nasty, filthy things that come out of your mouth, things that you say, the things that you do with your body. and allows your body to control the decisions you make in your life. You hear me on this? This is the most vital one. That nobody wants to talk about. Because people talk crazy, talk filthy, do things. You allow your body to control every decision of your life. Young people living dumb, doing whatever they want. You're 40 years old and acting like you're 15. You're 50 or acting like you're 21 years old. People acting dumb, doing stupid stuff. Oh, it goes being tough because that's why, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad the worship team did, did a good job. Because uh, I know this is a tough spot because at least you got some anointing off the worship team. Because I'm digging into something crazy. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, anointed but filled to the brim of fornication. Mm. Mm. Oh man, the anointed. Wow. He was so good on me, but you're full of fornication. Nobody can trust you around anyone. Somebody has to put a beeper on you. Keep track of you at all times. Because your flesh is completely out of control. Blinding decisions. This is the Bible. I'm reading the scripture. You miss good opportunities. Walk away from them. Because you didn't see any prey that you could attack. Then take dumb opportunities for silly reasons. Because your flesh is driven to making decisions based on your head. And how you're living within. You have to change your default. Sad memories of lost opportunities because you never learn how to manage your flesh. The truth of the matter is, sooner or later in these areas, you have to budget. There's, there's areas in your life you have to budget. You have to budget and manage power. If you're not careful, power can intoxicate you. It can corrupt you. The more influence you have and how you use it can be debilitating. You can have a budget of how you use power that you have. Stop asking God for more influence when you mismanage the influence you already have. Manipulating the influence that you have, moving people up and down, bad, wrong reasons to influence you, to make you look better. You've got to manage your influence. You've got to manage the power. God gives us that. If you don't budget it, if you don't manage it, you have, to, you have to budget and manage money. I don't care how much you have of it. Anytime you disregard budgeting and mismanage money, you'll end up broke. Bottom line, these are things that the Bible is trying to tell us. You've got to manage the finances you have. And so that you're not broke, you've got to manage what you, what you get, what you have. I mean, the biggest thing off the top is, is what the Word of God says. Are you faithfully giving to God? Do you stay obedient in tithing? Or is tithing not an option? If we walked around this room and handed the mic, do you tithe? You, if somebody took the mic to me and said, do I tithe? I would say boldly, yes, absolutely I do. That's the first thing I do. 
If it's an option for you, then where does God sit on your throne? Is he, is he a footstool to you? This is what I'm trying to say. This is what the scriptures are talking about. You've got to do what God has asked you to do for the obedient. Well, I can't afford You can't afford not to do it. He's faithful, church. I got somebody that tied at those car wash that I don't know. When you unlock your mind, you finally realize that I have to give to God. Because if not, you try to manage God. And that's the problem that we face. Nobody wants to hear that. Got a budget. When you budget something, you manage it on the basis of priority. What is your priority and what you have? It's not that you, you can't use it, but you're selective on how you use it. Power is bad. Money is bad if it's budgeted out of order. It's bad when it's budgeted out of order. You're spending more than what you got. Doing all this crazy stuff. This is what the Bible says. Another thing you got to manage is your relationship. you got to manage it. Oh, just sleeping around. Sex, whatever. Oh, I just lost about everybody else in the room now. Oh, I know I lost you at money, but then I just killed everybody with sex. Uh, but you got to manage this stuff. Man, you have to manage it. I'll say it like this. Because the world today, this is what it's talking about, profound fornication, all this stuff in that scripture that gets into Esau. What is happening in today's society, it's all about just do whatever you want. Here you go, kids. Passing out condoms. Here you go, kids. When are we going to stop doing the crazy stuff? And who's going to hold the standard of waiting? I'll say it like this. If you love the person you're with, quit sleeping with them and put a ring on their finger and save yourself from this point on. Nobody wants to hear that stuff. Well, guess what? We're preaching it. Why? Because it's in the Word of God. love them. And if it's not, if you're just like, well, I'm just trying it on. I'm just going to see if it works out. You've already set yourself up for failure. You've got to manage this stuff. If that's true love, then get yourself in order. Put it in order. Put it under the authority of God and the covenant and still have the standard. It's not old school. It's today. This word does everything. It's old, but it's still relevant today. And it'll change your life today. Put a ring on it. <laughs> Save yourself from this point. Do whatever you got to do. Saying we got to do the right thing all the way around. I want to be in full covenant. If they're that valuable to you, treat them with value. Don't treat them like you're trying on something at the store. Oh, we're just seeing if it'll work out. If it don't work out, it don't work out. Do you know how people live anymore today? I mean, just careless. Just whatever it is. But I'm telling you right now, the gospel's real. And if you truly want the freedom you need, then do it all right. Yes. Wow. Do it all right. And the problem is, is we got too many people doing the craziest things. The same way you handle your money, you handle your body. When you want something, you go and get it. At all costs. You go after it. No, it doesn't matter to you. You just go get it. Whatever you want. All of a sudden, you buy what you want and beg for what you need. You sleep with who you want and lie to who you need. I guess the question is, is are you over budget? Is there an area you're over budgeting? You have to budget. You have to change your default. There's nothing as powerful as a changed mind. Oh, it's quiet in here this morning. Ooh, to all the visitors that are here, it's normally not this quiet. Even it's a it's a sensitive subject, and uh, it's normally not this quiet. They're just checking the books this morning. 
And how it ends is where I started a couple weeks ago. Stand with me. It ends where I started. It ends with Esau, who sold his inheritance for a bowl of soup. The reason I needed to preach about this is because we can't apply one thing of the scripture and not apply the rest. The reality is God wants all of you. The reality is Esau lost all that he had because he was hungry. Hear me real quick. He lost his inheritance because he was hungry. You have to change your default. What are you hungry for? Is it, is it the, the... Are you selling your inheritance for a bowl of soup? Are you selling your inheritance for fornication? Are you selling your inheritance for backbiting and all the other stuff inside the soul? Are you selling your inheritance? Because you can't find peace with people? You complain and argue with people? Are you selling your inheritance because you're so frustrated and you can't get it together? Or what are you selling your inheritance? Because you're so distracted? Because you don't want discipline in your life? Are you selling your inheritance because you're so hungry for the opposite of what God has for you? God wants to change your default in all areas, in all hidden areas, all quiet areas. If you can't change it in your head, you can't change it in your life. The scripture in the end says, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm going to say it in a message. You're blessed when you work when you work up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. That's the truth right there. In the best meal you'll ever have. We're going to sing this. And I just want to leave you with this that challenge. Read that scripture again in Hebrews. It's kind of deep. It's good. This was a little bit of a different kind of a Bible study type sermon because it just challenges you in all areas of, of getting to peace and breaking loose and lo loving on people and finding that. Not letting fornication and all that stuff happen. People do some crazy stuff. People silently do stuff in their mind. Default everything. Everything. God, I hunger for you. I'm not hungry for that. The world has to offer all that crazy stuff that sits at the edge of my feet. I hunger and I thirst for you, God. Amen. And nothing else matters.